Hello and welcome. This is the Future Family Podcast. I'm Blake. I'm Tanner. And I'm Cody. And this week, we are not sponsored by Instagram. Instagram, when you want to be entertained, but you don't want racism, go to Instagram and not Facebook. Well, everybody, we are back with our Denominations Deep Dive series, and for the final installment, we are looking into the Presbyterian Church. So grab your pamphlets on your way in, or you will be totally lost during the call to confession. This being... (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I can attest to that. (laughs) This being uh, the denomination that I have been in now for a year and a half or so, Um, I'm going to be kind of heading up this episode. We're going to start with a little bit of uh, history of this denomination and kind of what defines this denomination. Um, And then I'm going to go into the questions for Blake and Tanner. So to start off with, uh, Presbyterianism is part of the Reformed tradition within the Protestant church. So when the Protestant Reformation happened, there were a lot of offshoots of different denominations that happened. Presbyterianism was uh, one of those, and like I said, it follows the kind of more Reformed tradition of theology and church governance. If you want to know more about what Reformedom is, I'll talk about it um, a little bit later. But for now, think of it like if Protestantism is Coca-Cola, the Reformed tradition is like Coke Vanilla or Coke Zero, depending on how you view Reformedom. So... Basically, go back to the 16th century, whenever the Protestant Reformation was happening, you know, Luther was hammering pieces of paper to doors and stuff. Um, The Catholic Church resisted these reformers, and then some different theological movements came about. Essentially, what happened was John Knox kicked it with John Calvin. They both hung out, you know, came up with reformed stuff. And then John Knox went over to Scotland, and he was like, yo, here's this reformed theology stuff. The Church of Scotland was like, we dig this. They draft like a couple confessions. Uh, one of them is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then boom, you have Presbyterians. That's pretty much uh, the condensed history of the Presbyterian Church in a nutshell. And then eventually through Scottish immigrants, it makes its way over to America. So where does the term Presbyterian come from? Well, it comes from how we run our church government, which is a Presbyterian polity form of government. Essentially what this means is each local church is governed by a bunch of elected elders. Those are called the session. Groups of local churches are governed by higher assemblies of elders, and that's called the presbytery. Uh, Presbyteries nationwide join to form the general assembly. So there's kind of local and then regional and the national levels of the Presbyterian church. Um, And also church services are conducted by the teaching elder. So some things that kind of 
hallmark Presbyterian theology and Reformed theology um, are three things in particular. The sovereignty of God is very influenced, which if you know anything about Calvin's works, you know that that's highly influenced. Um, the authority of scripture is very emphasized and the necessity of grace and grace alone. Um, if you want to look into it any more, um, Google the five solas, S-O-L-A-S, and that'll kind of give you a better idea of some of the things Presbyterian theology is about. Um, also of kind of interesting note is the Presbyterians very firmly grasp this confession called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, which is basically just a longish document spelling out what they uh, believe. Uh, so that's another thing that you can Google if you want some more information. So um, up next, I'm going to kind of talk about the two Presbyterian denominations in the United States, the PCA and the PCUSA. The spark notes are PCUSA is larger, PCA is smaller, Um PCA kind of split from the main church earlier. PCUSA split in 1983. PCA split in 1973. Um, But the main difference between these two is PCUSA is a little more theologically liberal. PCA is a little more theologically conservative. Um, So in the past, um, PCUSA has kind of veered on its views of scriptural inerrancy um, some different things like social issues like abortion, same-sex, mar- same-sex marriage, um, a lot of the hot-button issues. PCUSA has kind of gone more theologically liberal on. Uh, PCA has kind of stayed mostly conservative on. The church I go to is a PCA church. Um, and then that is about it. I mean, we kind of talked about governance, reform theology. We're going to have an episode coming up about like reform theology, Calvinism and Arminianism. That's coming up one day. Tanner's shaking his head like, no. Um, <laughs> the only other thing that you might know Presbyterians by is pedo baptism, which is baptizing infants. Um, there's a whole bunch of articles you can read about it. The, the shorthand from my understanding about it is it has its roots in how uh, in the book of acts they would baptize whole families when someone came to faith um something like that i don't know that's that's the spark notes i would encourage y'all to just google that we're not going to go deep into that but that's about all you need to know for a brief background of the presbyterian church so now i'm going to turn it over to blake and tanner and ask them have you guys attended a presbyterian church i know for a fact both of you have um and what was your experience like yes I have attended, and uh, my experience was um, on a scale of 1 to 10, 95. Um, it was a fantastic... <laughs> um, no, I really enjoyed my time at the Presbyterian Church. I will say the experience was not, uh, I guess, first time. I, I wasn't a first-time visitor. I had a person who was a member of the church, uh, Mr. Cody Hasselbring, escorting me around, um, giving me the, you know, the good treatment. I made um, sure they got pamphlets is what that means. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh yeah. We got all the pamphlets. Um, oh, yeah. so to say that, but just on judgment of the church, I feel like it was very welcoming. Like I loved the, and this is granted just one Presbyterian church, I guess, amongst many others that we could, uh, experience. I really enjoyed the lobby area, uh, 
whatever you'd call that first area. <laughs> very um, stylish. Yes. A lot of natural light, um, coffee, which I was, I don't know if I was just not expecting to have coffee and why. Maybe that's a non-denom thing, a block that I'm like, only non-denom churches do that. Um, but I was very pleased to see coffee. Uh, everybody we talked to, super friendly, very engaged. Um, and like I said, I feel like that's because Cody was like, hey, these guys, or here, here are my friends, uh, Tanner and Blake. And they were like, oh, from the podcast. And like the whole freaking church knew about the podcast. I think the I pastor, should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> the pastor did mention it from the pulpit, I think. I can't remember for sure. Don't quote me on that. But he was like, Future Family Podcast is next to the Bible in my esteem. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, does he totally. still listen to the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was, uh, I would say, overall a great experience. I did enjoy, I think. Um, the structure of the service. And like you joked earlier, if you didn't grab your, uh, what's it called? Um, pamphlet brochure, pamphlet yeah. brochure thing, you would be lost. Um, and yeah, Program, I, I, def- I think is the word. I was still a little lost, even though I had it in front of me. Um, oh, yeah. but I did enjoy the structure. The message was really, um, encouraging and, and Christ honoring and worship was different for me, but I still enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, overall, I had a really great experience and Jen was with me as well. She enjoyed it. Um, I did like that individual church sanctuary. I don't know. It was very light. I remember it like being bright and nice and so, but it was good. So Blake, you mentioned the structure. Can you kind of like coming from like the non-denominational church into the Presbyterian church, which do like church services very differently, not necessarily like one better than the other, but, Mm -hmm. uh, for people that haven't been to a Presbyterian church, can you kind of spell out how the structure kind of is different? Uh, well, I mean, there is structure, so that's different. Um, no, uh, <laughs> there was, so the one thing, and I don't remember exactly every item of business that happened or the correct order, but I do remember there was one portion of the service that had a time for confession. It wasn't necessarily out loud. I think it was just like a, prayer portion maybe where he was mm-hmm. like um conscience consciously uh confess sins that you might have uh committed this week or something i don't remember exactly when that was or what that looked like but i loved that because it was i mean that never i mean maybe a sunday a pastor just hey let's let's you know bring our sins let's confess our sins and and spend some time in prayer doing that. But I don't know if that's an every Sunday thing where it's like on the, on the agenda. It's like this time be, uh, be like proactive or be intentional and okay, let me confess what I have on my plate, like things that I'm struggling in things that I'm falling short. Let me repent of these things and then take a step. And it wasn't like come down to the front. It was just like right there. Yeah. Wherever you are do that. Um, so I loved that. Uh, I did love how, um, it was very, I don't know if I loved it, but it was different. It was new. And I, I kind of appreciated it. The, you move from one thing to the next, um, and like we would do worship, I guess. And then we went into the, whatever next reading it was. And then the pastor was up there preaching and then there was something at the end. I don't remember, but, um, so I did appreciate the structure, I guess it was different, but, um, I liked the thought and intentionality behind some of it. So cool. Uh, Tanner, what, what kind of, what were your feelings? Um, yeah. So before I went to, um, your church, I'd been to Christ Prez, 
in Nashville, which is kind of a multi-site. Um, they don't like pipe in the sermon from the main campus or anything. Each site has their own pastor. But I think um, most people would know them because the main pastor, Scott Sauls, was like a disciple of Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really enjoyed that church service. It was a little bit bigger. And being in Nashville, it was very um, kind of creative driven, but also minimalist. Um, and so I had a little bit of a taste before going with you guys. Um, and so what I enjoyed about it was like very much the structure and I'll get in a little more on that next question about like specifics of what I admire about the Presbyterian church as a whole. Um, but like the, the time of confession, like, uh, Blake mentioned was, um, really awesome. I remember texting you guys when I was at Christ Pres. I was by myself. I went um, by myself. I was visiting friends, but went there alone. And I text you guys as I got there about 20 minutes early. I was looking at the bulletin and seeing the order of events. And I saw just, it just said time of confession or something like that. And I text you, uh, Cody, in the group message. I was like, what is this about? Do I have to like say my sins out loud? And you're like, yes, just please stand up and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for killing that man last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it was really cool to like, kind of be spurred along into um, confession. Cause I think, you know, every now and then you may have something like that in other churches, like a Baptist church or non-denom, but it's more like, are just kind of in your own space there, just kind of confess to God, anything you want right now. And it's more, you know, I think for me, most of the time in those situations, I may just, just sit in silence and kind of just reflect on life. I don't really, you know, go deep into that confession and repentance like I need to. So that was really cool. Like kind of liturgical aspects. Um, music was great and preaching was great as well as it's just really cool to have. Um, as with most churches, it was just this, you know, close knit community that kind of just, even if as I was visiting that church and your church, just being a visitor, you can feel and tell that it's, you know, taken serious, um, both like community and training the community in, um, instruction of the word. So, yeah. And I often can't tell if that's like merits of us being, I get that feeling too. And I can't tell if that's like us being a Presbyterian church or us just being as small of a church as we are. Mm -hmm. Um, because it is, and I guess this is where I, I can kind of go into my experience with this church is um, I went to Southern Baptist churches uh, all my life until now, basically, and then started going to um, this particular church, South Baton Rouge Prez, this last year, once I moved here full time, um, mainly just because I knew that it would be a very uh, gospel centered, scripture centered uh, church. And I just couldn't really find very many like Baptist churches um, that I was particularly into in the area. Um, and so kind of you two both alluded to it. Um, the main difference if you go to one is that our structures are, are, our, um, services Services. are very much structured, uh, differently. What you'll often have is you'll have maybe about three songs with like the main band. Um, and then there will be a usually responsive reading, like a call to worship or a prayer, um, and these are uh, most of these are all responsive. So they're either going to be reading from uh, something from scripture that pertains to the sermon that day, or they're going to be reading from maybe a different confession, like the Westminster Confession or uh, a different catechism that applies to the scripture that day. And then there will be three more hymns. Um, 
somewhere in there you're going to do what Blake and Tanner you both referenced, which is a call to confession, a responsive reading, um, and then after that call to confession, a time of confession, and then a responsive reading for assurance of salvation. You do the hymns, you do the sermon, and then you just end with a couple more hymns, usually speaking. So that's your typical Presbyterian church service. Uh, it's basically just songs, responsive, songs, responsive, sermon, rinse and repeat. So yeah, what are some things we maybe admire about the Presbyterian church or the Reformed church as a whole? I should mention here is like a brief caveat, since I've only been at this church for like a year and a half. Um, a lot of what I'm probably going to speak to isn't this church specifically. I'm probably just going to mostly reference what I know about people who ascribe to reformed reform theology in general for our critiques and praises. Um, although I do have lots of praises to sing about my church, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, what are some things we admire about the Presbyterian and reformed church? I'll say um, I really admire, and I don't know exactly how to phrase or word this, but I think honoring, uh, the sovereignty of, of God and not necessarily or not making God casual, I think is the gist of my point. I, I love that because in my tradition, it's like, Oh, Jesus is my bro, my homie, you know, like we're cool. We're tight. Like it can be kind of wa- not watered down, but also not necessarily honored or esteemed in maybe a way I think it should be. Um, but just every interaction um, I've had with people who are reformed Presbyterian, um, and even going to church, I felt like God was honored. Um, it was just in a really cool way. Um, and not that there's certain, maybe, I don't know, not that there's a certain only one way you can honor God, but it was just, God was put in a, a rightful place and he was honored and it was beautiful. And so that was one thing I really enjoyed about going. Tanner, anything, anything you're thinking? No, I don't admire the Presbyterian Church. <laughs> no, um, they can lick my toes. <laughs> no, I, was, I had a few, just like three or four things written down. So preaching, um, like as well as you know Southern Baptist and non-denom, um, as well. But preaching is just seen to be held at a, as a high standard um, within like the worship service setting, and just as part of instruction for the community. Um, the music sounds like if Sufjan Stevens kind of dialed it back a bit. So I like that. <laughs> um, so like Christ Pres, when I, when I walked in, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of knew maybe a few hymns and more, um, yeah, you know, like wordy hymns, but they started off with like an acoustic version of, um, I forgot what Hillsong song and then went into, like a very Presbyterian song and then a kind of classic hymn rearranged. And I think when we went to your church, there was like one or two songs that I recognized, but they were, Mm -hmm. had a different arrangement to it. So really enjoy the music, but also like over the last two or three years, and I'm kind of through self-reflection wondering if it's been um, as a response to like college and secularism or what, but I've really been a sucker for like liturgy and tradition and so like Presbyterian feels like that's um, kind of where I'd get, uh, what's what's a good phrase for it? Where I'd get 
that taste of it, at least, if not a good chunk of liturgy and tradition, as well as like kind of with that, and you mentioned it, catechism. So the Westminster Confession, which has the um, catechism in there, then the Heidelberg Catechism, Tim Keller's church had you know the New City Catechism come out, which I think I wanted to mention in the last episode, I think would be helpful for churches to kind of help their uh, community avoid going through like deconstruction is having something like that, like a catechism having to go a catechism. through. So like listeners, if, if you're not aware of what a catechism is, it's, um, you know, pre-written question and answers that kind of go through, um, you know, specific theology and, um, doctrine questions, you know, like what's, uh, you know, the first one I think of Westminster is what is the chief end of man? Um, mm-hmm. and there's like a long answer and within that answer, a short answer you can memorize, but it's ways to kind of, if you study it, help you understand questions you may have, but also defend your faith or at least help someone else who might be asking the same questions. So, right. Uh, those are some things I admire. A fun thing that I learned in my research is, uh, the Westminster confession and the catechisms. Um, there's a word for these. Um, they're called, I shouldn't have took my glasses off. Uh, they're called subordinate standards, uh, which is basically saying a subordinate standard is when a church comes together around a certain confession that's not the Bible, uh, but they're saying this pretty well summarizes what we believe as a, as a unit. We do, however, hold it subordinate to the Bible, and we do not see it as divinely inspired or without error. So. Uh, and I think the two things that I, I probably admire about this church so far um, is one, I feel like we have a passion for ensuring that everything we do or believe is scripturally informed and biblical. Um, I feel like we're always asking that question about uh, everything we do, everything we believe. We're always like, is this is this first and foremost scriptural? Um, and then, like you guys said, uh, Blake, you mentioned it. It's a small thing. I really do just love the uh, call to confession uh, that we do in our services. It's just a really cool moment to have everybody reciting the fact that we are sinners in need of grace out loud at the same time. And then knowing that everyone in the room is confessing their their sins at the same time. Um, you just kind of get that solidarity of like, hey, we're all kind of struggling through it together. And it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Um, okay, so next question. In what ways would we encourage the Presbyterian Church or Reformed Church? Where would we like to see growth action? Um, And if you guys would like, I can go ahead and go first, being the one from this particular denomination. Um, One thing that I feel like we could grow in just the Reformed Church in general is uh, we are very well-read um, and we know a lot of, of old books and uh, very long terms like reformed depravity, complementarianism, um, things that are really shorthand for very complex issues. One issue I feel like we have is when we're so seeped in all that stuff and it's all that we say to one another, um, having that kind of ivory tower language can make it really hard for outsiders to come in and learn our stuff. Um, We need to make our theology accessible to people who are maybe just coming in or maybe overhearing us. 
Um, I have a, a, I personally have someone that I know who in the past has voiced her like massive frustration to me where she was basically saying like, you know, I, I have people all around me throw out the term complementarian, but I, I have never actually had anyone explain to me what that means or like how it fleshes itself out, like in the day to day. It's always just thrown out as like something we should believe, but never actually defined. And I think that gets really frustrating for people um, and it makes them feel kind of excluded as well. And so I think we need to be able to descend from the ivory tower and explain everything in succinct ways. That's one of my, I've got two. That's, that's one of the two. Um, You guys got one? I had a question and this may fall into um, under this question, but this has been asked of me, but how the question pretty much went, how does someone quote, make a decision at a Presbyterian church? So like oh, that's a good Baptist question. church, you have, you know, altar call at the end or time of invitation, nine to nine church. You have the pastor do a, every head bow, every eyes closed, yeah. you know, raise the hand or count to three. Um, but like I noticed that two, two times at a Presbyterian church, there was no kind of time for that. So I have only personally made one like public decision at the Presbyterian church. So I can just speak to the way that that happened. Mm -hmm. But um, we have, we got a lot of elders. I feel like we got 12, 14 or something like that. So each elder is kind of assigned a group of individuals that they kind of shepherd over. Right. And so we're in contact with those people. And so that's kind of how, if you've been going for a few weeks, that's kind of how you make that smaller. So what I did was essentially I talked to my shepherding elder, Trey, and I was like, hey, I would like to become, uh, go through the official membership process. And so what happened through that was uh, there was like a designated time for us to have membership classes. Um, I went to three of those membership classes and then I had to do an interview before several of the elders where I just kind of shared my testimony and it wasn't anything crazy. And then they brought me before the church and they were like, okay, uh, do you believe all of these things? And then we all said like, yes. Um, And then we were good to go. That was about it. But the short answer is I would say probably through your respective elders. Mm Mm-hmm that you're assigned to is how you go about making the decision. So I feel like if you were like visiting a Presbyterian church, for instance, and you wanted to make a decision of like salvation, it would be probably, you'd find it maybe a little more difficult than if you were going to like a Southern Baptist church or a non-denominational church where you can make that decision in the moment. Um, For whatever reason, I think that, I get the vibe that Presbyterians in general favor making those kind of decisions over longer periods of time, whether for better or worse. um, And, and after getting to know people in the church, I kind of get that, that notion that may or may not be true though. Yeah. And I think that may feed into the kind of communal feel of like with that, I think more often than not, depending on of course the age of the person, that decision will be kind of the result of conversation like with family, with that shepherd shepherding elder. And then when you 
go to that shepherding elder with that, like, hey, I want to, you know, make a confession of faith or uh, step into salvation or however you want to word it, they get to like walk through that so that both they can, I guess, affirm that you are um, understandingly doing that or Mm -hmm. can kind of correct you in something that you may be uh, misunderstanding about that or things like that. You know, like I think often or sometimes people can come up to the altar call at a Baptist church or raise their hand at a non-denom church and just do it out of an emotional, you know, response or, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think with that, what you described, there is more kind of checks in place to pretty much make sure this is official, I guess would be one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Um, I've got one more, uh, note of encouragement for the Presbyterian church. Uh, Blake, do you have anything? Do you want me to just read mine off? Uh, my note of encouragement is also what I said. I like so much was the structure. Um, Oh yeah. I just, I I think sometimes we can, and maybe it's tradition more so than structure. Maybe, uh, not getting caught up or not putting too much weight in maybe tradition of our denomination versus what might be best. Um, And I don't know any specific examples, but I just know in general church culture as a, as a history can get caught up in tradition and this is how we've done it for so long. So for sure um, without maybe testing it or saying, okay, why do we do it this way? Um, And Blake, I I like what you said, because I think, a lot of times what Presbyterians will point out is like, um, or what I should say, I don't know that much about Presbyterians, but what people in the reform tradition will point out is the danger of excessive informality when it comes to um, approaching God. But I think there's also a danger in excessive formality, uh, which often comes when we overemphasize these traditions, um, is that you kind of, you have a lot of reverential language for God but then you maybe don't leave room for the kind of uh, for the kind of gut level prayers of like the Psalms and Job um, and things of that nature when you're maybe hurting or just uh, full of joy and you don't need to read um, something from a Westminster confession in order to adequately pray to God. Um, I think there's a healthy balance between formality and informality and for Presbyterians and uh, folks of the reformed tradition, it's probably we more so need to remind ourselves, hey, we do have a personal relationship with God um, who does personally care for us. Um, and we can come to the throne, you know, not just as someone who is, uh, and this is another point, um, we are very like undeserving to come to the throne and we are very sinful, um, but we do also have confidence in Christ. And so that's a, that's a balance that, that needs to be struck. Uh, my other point of um, recommendation for just kind of the Reformed Church is that when we are very well read, and this is not going to be a surprise to anyone, uh, there comes a danger of an intellectual pride in that um, that I think happens pretty much every time Beth Moore tweets and then people come into the replies. Uh, that is basically nine times out of ten what you're seeing there. Um when this happens, what I like to call this the mindset of I've read all of Calvin's institutes, 
So now I know that any other opinion on predestination is not just something I disagree with. It's heresy. And that is not, that is not a good stance to take. What, what, what I, if I could condense this one word of advice into just one sentence, it's we need to give theological grace and we need to be sure that even if we've read a thousand pages on an open-handed issue, we still hold it as open-handed no matter how well-read or how researched we are on that minor point of uh, theology, whether it be complementarianism or Calvinism, if it's open-handed and if it's not a central issue to the faith, uh, we don't need to defend it as vehemently as we do the central issues. Um, and we don't need to just be completely exclusive and unnuanced of people who believe differently than us. Um, that's my note to the, just the reformed church as a whole. I would say. Yeah. Go ahead, Tanner. There's, there's a line by Taylor Gray, who's um, a, a black pastor. He's like, I think he's a reformed theology. If I don't know what denomination his church is, but he's also a Christian rapper. It's like one of the opening lines of his albums. I can't remember which one it is, but he basically says, I don't want a faith that canonizes Calvin. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think along those lines, not necessarily Presbyterian people, but it seems to be more of the Reformed camp, especially just people that, you know, subscribe to John Calvin's theology that will um, probably in the same breath, you know, hold sola scriptura, right. um, you know, like the authority of scripture, inerrancy, infallible, but like hold um institutes or stuff like that yes. close to if not the same authority so um you know perhaps that'd be like a small criticism you know encouragement as well as and i can't remember if this is dallas willard or the new john mark comer book that i've been reading but there is um kind of pulls from eugene peterson and some other authors that mention so many people kind of just sit in um really early on in their faith, like the truth of Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, but fail to follow the way of Jesus. And so right. like, you know, we'll you know, preach that he is the, the way, the truth and the life that he is mostly like just the only way he's not a way, the way, but that the way of Jesus is like a lifestyle. It's, you know, um, whether it be spiritual disciplines or, the, or what have you, but so going beyond that intellectual, um, right stage and actually you know practicing and living the way jesus did and how he taught his disciples to do so right um i think that's kind of my last bit of encouragement um and it's again it's not that i see you know 90 percent of presbyterians being intellectual jerks that quote calvin more than they do the old testament um but sometimes that is like the loudest voices in the room right so, right the yeah agreed and that's that's been a continual source of frustration for me yeah and then the same goes for kind of any denomination it's you know people judge the whole by the fringe so yeah mm -hmm. i'm glad you say that it's like um your theology is your study of theology is really only beneficial in as much as it leads you to more devotion to and worship of god um I think that a lot of times we can get guilty of studying theology for the sake of having a bank built up to like win arguments. And that's whenever you see Calvinists or reform people, they start getting really, 
they just like are fighty. They're just wanting to pick a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but that should never be your source, your reason for study. Your reason for study should always be, I want to know God deeper. Um, and I want to worship him uh, more. Uh, there was actually a really good thing on like Wikipedia of all places that when I was reading about this, where they were saying something along the lines of like um, the Presbyterian idea of scripture is that everything we study about God is um, sufficient, but not necessarily comprehensive. It's kind of the thing to, to continually remember. So without further ado, let's skedaddle on over to recommendations. Mine, my recommendation for this week, easy, um, breezy cover. No, I'm just kidding. Beautiful. Uh, easy, uh, easy, breezy, beautiful. No, it is chess, just the game of chess. I've been playing a lot lately and, uh, I just forgot how much I love it. And it's just a fun game. Uh, works your brain. Um, maybe more so than checkers play checkers as well too, but, uh, chess is my recommendation i would prefer not against like a computer on an app like an actual pull out a chess set and then play with an actual person across from you but if you can't do that maybe play on uh, a chess app maybe but i have two questions for you number one are you planning on or have you already purchased like a bougie chess set with like glass pieces or like really heavy metal pieces? <laughs> well, so I've, I got received for my birthday from some friends, some dear friends, Woodsy and Caroline, uh, a, a nice wooden set. Um, it's pretty mm. heavy duty. Um, the mm-hmm. wood pieces are magnetic. So it's, and it like fits and it folds like the wood set folds. And so it stores away nicely, but it's nice. pretty heavy duty for a chess set. Um, it was inspired by a chess set that they had, um, or they were borrowing from their sister or something, but it was like, uh, it was pretty much a slab of wood, like jagged corners and everything with like massive pieces. I was like, well, this is super cool. Uh, but they found one, um, that was actually really solid wood, really nice set. But I have looked at some really cool pricey chess sets because I just think that's a cool piece to have in your house, like a a nice, solid, I don't know, either glass or like some crazy, fancy, rare wood from uh, Africa, I don't know, from some distinct place. That'd be cool, too. Cool. My recommendation this week is a book you've probably seen a lot of on social media. If you haven't, well, here you go. It is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, Really good book. Uh, If you purchase, like, the physical copy, it'll seem kind of thick, um, but it's a quick read, easy read. And, uh, of course, like, I think you guys have seen the cover it is beautiful. Um, the very, back cover, very minimal. yeah, the back cover, you know, where you normally have like the blurps and stuff for, of um, people that have recommended or whatever. They're very, like 10 words or less in really big font. Um, and in the middle of the book, there's an intermission. And so all those pages are like black. They're still 
regular paper with white script and um, like larger font uh, talking about spiritual disciplines. Great book. Um, very needed. I think in our culture, very needed in the sense that all of us are like glued to technology, uh, our cell phones. Um, I kind of mentioned in our conversation earlier, but um, really talks about as he does with his own church, practicing the way of Jesus or like the spiritual disciplines and how that can help us, you know, unhurry as well as just kind of lean into the presence of God. So the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. Cool. I really like his uh, podcast. I just started listening to uh, about a week ago. Um, the one with Metsky? I think so. What's what's it called again? Uh, I got it right now. Fight, here. hustle, and... Yeah. Fight, hustle, and hurry. Or something I must like be that. thinking of a, a very different one. The, the uh, culture, this, this cultural moment? That's the one. Yeah, this cultural yeah, that's moment. That's the one I sent y'all. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, so my recommendation this week, uh, two for two on YouTube videos. Last week, I recommended girlfriend reviews. This week, I'm recommending something that all of you probably know about, and I know Blake and Tanner do, but it is Hot Ones interviews with uh, Sean Evans. Dude, the Paul Rudd one is by far the best one Paul Rudd ever. needs to be preserved at all costs. Uh, he is just, just the greatest human. But if you're not familiar with Hot Ones interviews, uh, it's Sean Evans, who is the greatest interviewer on the freaking planet. Um, and he interviews celebrities, musicians, um, sports peoples. Uh, and the shtick is they eat hotter and hotter wings as the interview progresses. Uh, I, there's just like, I don't know what it is. If it's like, this probably wasn't purposeful, but it's almost like the power dynamic in the room shifts as the interview goes on. Uh, because normally, you know, it's like, the celebrity is in like a higher level than the interviewer, but the interviewer, as he just keeps crushing these wings somehow just gets on, like he puts the celebrity on even playing field with all of us, uh, as they are in incredible pain from spicy wings. Um, and he also has just the greatest questions ever. Uh, Sean Evans says that he, when he gets a guest, he'll just consume all of their material getting ready for that interview. Um, I'm going to spring this question on you guys, but do you guys have one person that you would love to see get on a hot ones interview? I have two, uh, Tanner, got it. You got any ideas? So a few of them already been on like Pete Holmes had already been on there. Yep. Um, Rhett and link was a good one. That was a really good one. Paul Rudd was a really good one. Who would I liked that hasn't been on there? Cause they've had a lot. They're like on there. They have. There's what season are they on? There's two, and these are the two that I would love to see, and they're on almost every comment on every video. Uh, Keanu Reeves for one, oh, yeah. and uh, Bill Hader for the other one. Uh, Bill Hader, one of my favorite human beings ever, it would be um, fantastic. I'm gonna steal yours, Bill Hader, <laughs> and <laughs> let's go with how do you think a Kanye Hot Ones interview would go? Nah. No, the new is that, have you seen the James Corden no. video? It was like carpool karaoke, but in an airplane. Like he was with Kanye. Kanye I heard was, it was really yeah. weird. It was. I really enjoyed it. Like it. It's kind of the most calm Kanye has been off drugs. Interesting. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was really good. I don't know Kanye in a. 
Blake, do you have your two? Yeah, who would you like to see on Hot Ones, Blake? Uh, I would say Peter Further and uh, uh, Michael Tate. Keep in mind, T-Swift hasn't been on one yet. I have no clue what y'all are talking about. So. <laughs> like you've never seen I've Hot never, Ones? I've never seen them, no. So I'm oh, gonna we got to get him to go watch one. It's, so I cannot the, recommend the meme. any. Right, you know the meme that Paul Rudd has been in over the last two weeks? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. where, yeah where he's like, that. who would have thought that one? Yeah. Oh, it's that. Look at that. That's a Hot Ones interview. Yeah. Oh, okay. Before that. Who would have thought? Not me. Idris Elba. A meme from that same show. When he's choking on. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't know who I got one would be, Cody. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Hot ones. Go watch them. Especially Blake, because Blake hasn't seen them. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Tantan, how can they get in contact with us? You can. Um, let's see. What day is it? Uh, Tuesday. November 5th. You have a few more weeks. You can uh, mail us, and it'll go through within three to five days. Mm-hmm. Um, his address is 829 uh, Sunset Drive, Baton Rouge. No, You just got to take uh, Pico all the way down to five. Take to that five. all the way over to Sunset. <laughs> California. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at Future Family Pod, Instagram at Future Family Podcast. Or uh, email us, please email us, please, please, at futurefamilypodcast at gmail.com. All right. Well, it's that time. Um, well, yeah, well, that's another episode. Um, hope you enjoyed it. And as always, uh, if you enjoyed it, or maybe even if you didn't enjoy it, I know we always put the pressure on you to leave a review, a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. Maybe you were just mediocre, mediocrely impressed. Medioc- maybe it was mediocre. Um, hey, leave <laughs> us a three-and-a-half or four-star review. Um, we're fine with that. Um, but leave us a comment. Tell us what you loved, what you hated. As Tanner said, send us an email. Type it up. Um, send it our way. Subscribe. Stay up to date. Um, subscribe on all the podcast platforms, not just Apple or Spotify. Or, like literally download every podcast app you have. Subscribe, 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 and then leave a review on that respective podcast platform. Um, and as always, keep the conversation going. With all that said, for Cody Tanner and for myself, we are future family. Can we stand together and sing the doxology?
Grace and peace be with you.